to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi everybody, we are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing pretty well. I haven't seen you in so long. Yeah, well, see, I was going to say I'd be doing better if I was still at the beach. (laughs) We're laughing because Sherry flew home yesterday. (laughs) I'm having the post-vacation blues. I get it. I get it. It was just such a lovely day here today. I went to water aerobics and I went over to the beach house and sat there in my bathing suit and walked in the ocean. And so nice. Did Chad go to water aerobics with you today? He did not. I don't know what's up with that. But when I was over at the beach house, he came over and he's still working on the hose. He's like now moved it. I don't, know, I don't think I told listeners that I did not winterize the shower correctly on the, the walkway of the beach house, so the the pipes froze over the winter. So now Chad's on the case, so he's taken down the shower and moved over. But he basically moved the little hose where we're going to spray our feet off to the end of the walkway so it's easier to get to. He did that today. Other than on the side of it? He had it on the side where you can't really get to it when you're trying to you have oh, to stick the your little hand. Knob. Yeah, yeah. To turn the water on and off, you had to stick your hand through the little railing. He's like, Would you like that better if it was on the end? And I said, Yes. Oh, and I'm so tall he's enough, re-plumbing I just it. over. Well, I'm not tall enough to <laughs> lean over. I had to stick my little arm through the, the railings, but he's moved it. So well, that's he's learned nice. how to do plumbing. So he's over there doing the plumbing. And Now I'm curious how you're supposed to winterize the outdoor pipe anyways. What were you supposed well, to do? Well, you have it? to bleed it, which I did, but I didn't bleed it fully or something. So it, it froze this little, one of the little where it's connected. I don't know. Oh. Or maybe you're supposed to leave it on, like bleed it and leave it on the, the faucet. I don't really know. Whatever. I didn't do it right. It froze. I gotcha. <laughs> I tried. I don't know. I thought I was doing it right. <laughs> the first time I came back and flipped the switch back and or the little valve, turned the water on, water spraying everywhere. I'm like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I already told Eric that I'm going to have to come back because we didn't get to go kayaking. I know. We were going to go kayaking, and then we didn't. So we're definitely going to have to go kayaking. So we should talk about our fabulous trip to the pawn shop. Oh, yes. Because, you know, we talked. We had the pawn episode, and then we talked about Dick's pawn shop. I was exactly right. It was the one that I thought. Dick's pawn shop is on Dick Pond Road, but they're not related. We asked them. Dick's Pawn Shop is not named after Dick Pond Road, and Dick Pond Road is not named after Dick's Pawn Shop. So there we go. <laughs> but it was super nice. Will was just telling me he was looking for like an amp or something for his band. And I said, you should go to the pawn shop and look. He's like, all right. I think that one in North Myrtle that we stopped at first actually had more of that kind of equipment. I think they did too. Yeah. They had like a lot of stuff, but we... Had a really nice jewelry sales lady named Jill. So shout out to Jill. Yeah, shout out to Jill at Dick's Pond Shop on Dick's Pond Road. Dick Pond Road. Dick Pond yeah. Road. Yeah. She was amazing. Go see Jill if you're in Myrtle Beach anytime. She actually wants to come on the show. I know. Talk about so, how to buy jewelry. Yeah. I thought it would be fun. A lot of people aren't familiar with jewelry buying and how to get, you know, how to buy quality jewelry and well, I, I certainly really wasn't. And, you know, I shared the story with with both of y'all how when I got, when Chad and I went and picked out my diamond engagement ring together back in 1991 before we got married. And we picked out a diamond and left the ring to be sized and came back to pick it up. And the diamond had a big black speck in the middle of it that had not been there. And I know it did not have that big black speck because you know how you're staring at the diamonds when you're buying one? 
And I was like, this is not the diamond. They're like, oh, it is, it is. Well, they switched it. But both you and Jill said, yep, they used to do that at a lot of stores. And I wouldn't be surprised if people still do it, but it was a pretty common practice and pretty well known that people did that. And, you know, here's something to that I'll tell you that I just happen to know. It's good to know what your ring looks like under the scope and know, I mean, nobody's got perfect flawless diamonds. If you do, you're lucky, okay? Because they, <laughs> they just don't exist. It's right. nature, They're a natural right? product. There's nothing perfect in nature. Anyway, so all your diamonds have little flaws in them, little carbon specs, you know. If you get to know your diamonds and what it looks like, that way when you take it in for repairs or whatever, always check and you can always make sure you have your diamond back. And once you get it appraised, a lot of appraisers will actually like mark on a diagram, like where there's little flaws in your diamond. And it's kind of like a topographical map or whatever. Okay. It's like your diamond fingerprint is what I was thinking. Yeah. Their notes are going to be the same. This one though, it was like a big speck of pepper. It was so big. You could see it from your naked eye across the room. I'm like, this is not the one I picked out. I promise you they gave us our money back and we went somewhere else. The old bait and switch with the diamonds. Well, you know, I've I've just never forgotten that because they were definitely trying to cheat the the youngsters in there buying a diamond. Well, my mom had a an emerald that my dad had given to her, and uh, she took it into the jewelry store to have it sized, I think. And when she got it back, it was not the same emerald, and she knew. Wow! And she had to pitch a monster fit. And I don't remember, I was young. I don't remember what they ended up doing for her. And, you know, it could have been something as simple as they broke it somehow and went and replaced it and want to tell her, but she knew her emerald and she knew it wasn't her emerald. And so, yeah, don't just ever assume. Yeah. Or I know your jeweler, get to know the jeweler. (laughs) That's a good tip. Well, each week we start the show with our weekly good news segment. And today I have a community shout out and a thank you from Barry in Southside, Alabama. He shared, so we just moved to this town. We closed on our house Thursday. So to say I was busy Friday is an understatement. I set my phone on the back of the car, which is something I've never done before. And then I completely forgot about it, which is something I have done before. I feel like Barry and I could be friends. (laughs) (laughs) he wrote long story short it ended up on lister ferry road somewhere and a new neighbor that i'd never met found it and made sure that i got my phone back so thank you new neighbor for looking out for me this is exactly the type of neighborhood i want to live in and so that is great and barry happens to be my new neighbor too when I met him and and he's telling this story, I said, you know what? I have this podcast and this is exactly the kind of story we like to share. And he said, please share it so that maybe somebody will hear it and they'll think to do something like this for somebody in the future. Well, it's true because it would be so easy to not want to be bothered by it. You're like, oh, that's somebody else's problem. But imagine if you were new to town and you just lost your phone. Uh, right. I mean, my life's in my phone. Oh, mine too. So, and imagine, think of all the people you have to call and things you have to set up. And things I mean, you have I'd to be, I wouldn't be able to call anybody because all that's in my phone. Right? <laughs> Do you know your husband's number? No. Do you know? <laughs> I don't know my passwords to log on to like accounts. It's all I in know. my phone. Yeah, exactly. So, well, that was nice. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. And we really, really do need your stories, listeners. We really do. If you're thinking about it, send it on. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk again about Branch Basics. You know, we've been taught by the, I guess, the cleaning industry, all the people that make all those millions of products, that cleaning should be complicated and that we need a million different types of cleaning products, something for every job. You know, like a stovetop cleaner and a countertop cleaner and a fork. We don't need all that. You know, Branch Basics isn't like that. It's a very simple line of products. But what I really can't believe is how great they actually work. 
you know, you start with one powerful yet safe concentrate, and that concentrate forms the basis of all of their cleaning products. And they have something, it's it's called the starter kit. And I would completely just recommend you start with the starter kit and you get one bottle of concentrate and then you get empty bottles for five different products. You get the all-purpose cleaner, the bathroom cleaner, the streak-free cleaner, the foaming wash, and the laundry detergent. So they all just have different concentrations. The bathroom cleaner has a little more of the concentrate in it than the all-purpose cleaner, for example. And the streak-free cleaner has like a drop of the, of the concentrate, like literally a drop. It's mostly water with a drop of the cleaner. And so you're like, well, why don't you just use water? Well, it's not as good, <laughs> but it really, really works. So each one of them have a slightly different recipe. As I said, you add water and concentrate following the fill lines right there on the bottles. And what I love is one bottle of concentrate goes a long way. So I know that a lot of people appreciate the Branch Basics is unscented, but I like to have a light yet non-toxic scent. So I'm able to customize each cleaning product to have what the scent, whatever scent I prefer. So I add peppermint essential oil to my all-purpose cleaner, to my hand wash, to my laundry detergent, because peppermint just smells super clean to me. And I add tea tree essential oil to my bathroom cleaner because not only does tea tree oil have a little bit of, you know, antimicrobial, antibacterial type properties of their of its own, but it also just smells like clean bathroom. I don't know why. So if you go to jenstevens.com slash branch basics, you can follow the link there to shop with branch basics. And don't forget to use the promo code cleanish at checkout for a special savings on the starter kits, not on the little tiny sample kit, but on the starter kits. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we're going to talk about embracing your path to wholeness and authenticity with artist and author, Elisa Stancil Levine. I had the pleasure of reading Elisa's memoir recently, and I was so inspired by her life journey. She didn't have an easy life. It was marred by abuse, pain, financial and interpersonal struggle, just like too many of us. But she kept pushing through the pain and struggle, and she went from barely surviving at times to thriving. So we are so happy to have you join us today, and we'd like to talk to you a lot about how you came to thriving. Oh, is this the beginning? Shall I just talk about how I came this, to thriving? We are beginning. We are beginning, oh. but I also want to start, before we get into the beginning, before we share, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? Well, this book and today in about the book and what, why I'm here, it's this arc from my very, very early beginning memories to today really demonstrates what I believe is key when you're looking at your life and what to do about it. It would be very helpful to remember that you have assembled your belief system as a little tiny child with anything that is close at hand. So this is good. This is bad. This is safe. This is scary. This is free. This is trust. This, you know, these are things that you see and learn from what you're experiencing. And this creates this belief system. If you want to transition out of whatever kind of difficult times you're having, you might benefit from studying your, how you gain these beliefs and what you can do to make them more broad, more updated, and more resonant for who you have become. Because as we grow, we grow, we change, and if you just stick with what you think you know, <laughs> this is could be very, very limited. <laughs> I could found I found that to be true. Well, and I do believe that your belief system really impacts your behavior. Really, if you are not worthy, you will behave in a way that is of a person who's not worthy, right? So, if you don't address your belief system and start to change that over time, then you can't enrich your life. Exactly. And I think you can see your people who are seeking to change and seeking to grow when they look in different religions or different other ways of living or to completely change up the way that they're being and they suddenly become like a super hippie or whatever they're doing. They're doing these things because they're trying to find a fresh perspective. But I want to say that it's not just negative what you get from these belief systems as a child. There are some very powerful positive things you get as well. So in my case, thankfully, I had just deep affinity for nature and felt completely safe and trusted and free in nature. That seems like a great thing. And that should be just something you could just carry all through your life. But in fact, what that began to cause and continue to present was my idea that people were not to be trusted, people I couldn't rely on. So I had this 
total dependence on nature for sustenance and positivity and avoidance of I was people. Saying, probably escape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I would have to say dissociation. But that was from, I mean, so I had some difficult things happen as a child that I just drove me more to nature. And then I had nature. So I would say, yay, I'm lucky. And then I just stuck with that. But then it wasn't until, like I say, in 2017, when nature through a huge forest fire slapped me right upside the head and said, you know, what about human nature? Listen, if you're so spiritual and you're so aware and you're so based on positivity, then why did you not tell anybody about the fire as you were running down the mountain? This question, of course, is everyone will say it's an instinct to run and try to survive. That's fine. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what struck me most deeply is that I suddenly realized the cost of not really letting people into my life. What is human nature? Human nature is also nature. Guess what? I missed out on this whole section of life, right? And I figured, okay, at 72, guess what? I have 20 years, maybe more, to get this right. And I mean, it might take 20 years for me to be that open, right? Because I made all this armor from my sort of calcified belief system, which I did not review. I think a lot of people do that. They have all these defense mechanisms in place that they built up starting when they were little. But I think that's kind of brilliant what you said. You were fully into nature, but then you realized, oh, wait, human nature. It's also nature. That's huge. (laughs) And then when you said that, you know, one of my questions was, you start the book talking about the wildfires. Was that 2019, 18, 19? 2017. Okay. So you started your book with talking about the wildfires, and then you kind of go back to your early days, and then you're talking about how much you love nature. Now I understand how your trusted nature that was there for you now suddenly became the enemy in that situation. So I could see how kind of your um, your kind of your faith in nature to protect you might have been a little disrupted. Then is that kind of what made you start looking at your past, or had you already been searching in your past? I had always worked through exactly what the benefits were of my dependence on nature. So the benefits of starting this whole design company and working all over the world and being in every single design magazine and highly regarded within this small realm of decorative artists. So the idea of how nature fueled my career and gave me all kinds of impetus to succeed was key. And that caused me not to really investigate if there was anything missing through the way I was living my life. And it wasn't until nature itself causes, there was this huge fire, which was just the power of nature that made me realize that I had overlooked developing deep connections with everybody in my community and throughout. I have a great relationship with my husband and my son and some friends, but it was always transactional. So with all the other people, I'm going to come, I'm going to do this business. It's going to be collaborative. I'm going to work with these amazing architects and designers and the client, and we're going to create this thing. And I will do it as I said, and you will be thrilled. And then I will leave and then goodbye. And then I will go to another one, you know, and I have great relationships with with repeat business customers, right? Based on this whole realm of comfort that's safe, that none of these caused me to have to really stretch and grow or remove and be vulnerable, remove the armor and be vulnerable. And I'm not saying that everybody wants to run around and be nakedly vulnerable, certainly, but I did find that when I was in these transactional relationships and I opened up to my clients. Everyone has so much deeper a story than is shown on the surface. This is the magic of humans, right? So I can say that's true of a tree and the way it grows and the growth pattern or leaves or the flower or this or that, but I was not seeing that way in a spiritual aspect of human beings, just blind. Is it fair to say you're closed off from deeper connections with people? Yeah, that was not even on my radar, I talked all about intimacy and individuation and all these things, the buzzwords that I knew, and I battered around people that I was trying to have a long-term relationship with, you know, with all my ideas. But that doesn't mean that I had any real sense of trust. Right. So how did you flip that switch? You know, you talk about embracing your path to wholeness and authenticity. So what did you do in that moment when you were like, I've got to make a change? How did you begin that? 
Well, all through the early time of my life, I was just trying. And as I grew and succeeded, I tried to improve how I corresponded with others. But it wasn't until I really stopped and looked back that I realized that in order to melt this armor that was, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in, invisible to the person that's protecting themselves, I believe. But, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm an artist. I'm not a therapist. So don't take my words as absolute fact. But I think that it's common that a person will have developed these tendencies that are invisible to them. If somebody had told you when you were in that zone and when you were in that period of your life that you had this kind of armor around you, that you weren't open, would you have seen it or denied it? I think what I tended to do when things there, you know, things would kind of come up against me. One time, a woman told me, "You know, you're just going from pillar to post. You have so much to offer. I don't know what you're doing with your life." And this was when I was just starting to buy houses and restore them, and I didn't really know exactly how I wanted to go about it. But it made me really stop and think what she was looking at, what she was seeing, and you know, should I listen to her? I mean, this is a person that I mean, she's probably this wise older woman I didn't really know. So it would be in these kinds of times that I would take this data and I would take it privately over here by myself, right? And ponder it and then try to fix whatever. I noticed early on that when I would see people that I admired, in fact, and sometimes even felt envious of, especially women, right? I would say, oh, this is a powerful woman. That's kind of scary. And then I would think, well, okay, this is a good point. Listen and look. What is it you're wishing was a characteristic that you had that they have? And if, and if you can try to emulate that, that is a good thing. So you're, getting a, you're getting a hint here. You know? I would just try to get a hint. And so even envy becomes a hint. So you, you try to learn. So you're learning from those around you and seeing, you know, oh, I admire this characteristic. So how can I use that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everything takes practice. So if something doesn't come naturally to you, you know, whether it's being extra warm to a person or inquisitive or whatever that is, and that's like a trait that you admire in somebody, I think the more you practice that behavior, the more it becomes part of your, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but you start to use it more because more comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's great. But I remember that in my early career, both remodeling houses in the early 70s and then uh, in construction at the high end of huge residential estates all through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, I was very early on one of the few women in construction. So the relationship, the relational stuff there was really interesting because you're trying to demonstrate that you have ability and and yet I'm self-taught. I have no education in it. And I'm definitely running the show as far as the way that this project's going to end up looking because I'm going to keep the promise that I made to the decorator, the client, and the architect of how the house would look. So I'm here like the bass player, right? Just trying to make it happen in all this color pattern and design with my team. When in the beginning, I had almost all women. So I'd have maybe 10 women on this job. They're beautiful and wonderful. But, you know, that was exciting and difficult. Because there was a lot, all the rest of the people were men and there were variable responses to having these women there. So, you know, I kind of became this mama bear and that worked. But when my son took over the company, when he was like, it was about 15 or 17 years ago, he's 53 now. So he was in, maybe he was in, in his late 20s or early 30s. He just said, you know, look, I don't want to be riding herd over a bunch of women. I want to have my own team. And I, he said, I can't be like you. I'm not going to be bringing cookies to the job site so that people will act nice because I brought cookies. He said, I, I have to get my contractor's license. I have to do all this. I said, whatever you have to do, it's your business now. Do it your way. But I swear that everyone was very, very happy to have him take over because, in fact, his style is very different. I'm very assertive, based on fear, probably, and just getting out in front of anybody that might possibly cause me a problem and just come straight on. He is very type B and he loves to reassure. It's beautiful. Okay. So they're all like, all the decorators like, oh, James. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, thinking back, why you you may have had to develop those skills is just, you know, as a woman in the seventies, especially we're doing construction, right? I'm sure you had to be very assertive 
in a, what was a male dominated industry. I went further than I probably had to. I mean, I think back and I realized that I was working in Sacramento and I wanted to get good pricing on um, paints and stuff for these houses that I was restoring. So I went and I presented what I was up to, to the owner of the paint company, and they gave me the same discount as the state of California for the paint. It was very, I mean, it was just like less than half price. It was amazing. They super cut this price. And they said they wanted to have a woman coming into the store. So that was fun and great, but I didn't want to be treated like a woman. So I would insist on carrying my own like five gallon buckets. I mean, they're heavy. Okay. Carrying those out to the thing. And I had my own super B being spray machine. I had all this stuff. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just figuring it out. Right. (laughs) Right. And it was interesting. And I felt happy and strong because I've always thought of myself as a person first who happens to be a woman. And that's just from the time I was little. And maybe that was part of the abuse issue, but, you know, just safer to be a person first and you're more free. I mean, if you look at the, your options as a person, you have unlimited options. But at that time in the late 50s and early 60s, the options for women were not grand and great. They were just beginning to open up. I mean, you're just beginning to get your own credit card. Can you believe it? Okay. This is just too horrifying to even talk about. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm saying is that you have these belief system. Things are in place. This, this looks like trust. This looks, like, looks safe. This looks free. And then from those little avenues, you try to choose. And we talked briefly before we started about the idea of actually choosing to be a teen mother, which I definitely did. I thought it was perfect. It was ideal. I could get pregnant. First of all, I'm having sex. It's not meaningful sex, but I had allowed my boyfriend to have sex with me. And now, of course, as a Catholic at the time, that meant I was sinning. Okay, so if I'm sinning, I either have to stop having sex with him, which it would mean I'd have to tell him no, or I would have to get married, right? Oh, yay, I'll get married. This is perfect. (laughs) I don't have to finish high school. It's dumb anyway, and I can be free. Okay, this is the saddest retrospective, the fact that this looked like freedom. And what decade was that? I was in 1967. You say that, that that just really sparked something in me, thinking back to my mother. I was born in 1969, but my dad was my mother's second husband, but it's very similar to what you just said. My mother was in college all, you know, in the mid, mid-60s. mid She got married as a way to have freedom in a way she couldn't do as a single woman. So, you know, those of us now, we we look at that and we think, what? But my mom made the same exact choice. She got married to someone for freedom to to not be under her parents' roof anymore and be able to make her own choices. And of course, that didn't work out. And a married woman (laughs) does have more freedoms than an unmarried girl would have, clearly. so Especially in the mid-60s. Yeah, right. Well, yes. In my case, my husband was only one year older than me. So he was 18 and he was working in a uh, gas station and we had a $40 a month furnished apartment, (laughs) which he (laughs) fortunately could walk to his job at the gas station from because we didn't have a car or a phone. And this was my freedom, my first call to freedom. I had $29 to buy the food for the month. Okay. So I go to the store and I'm like, okay, this is great. I'll get everything I need. So I get just a little salt, a little pepper, a broom, a, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, I've, I've used up almost all the money and I hardly have any food, right? So I have to go back and put things back and reconsider the whole situation. It was very, very alarming. You know, it was a sudden school of learning, right? As they say, it was really interesting. So this did not result in freedom. And it seemed like everything that I was choosing was making sense to me at the time based on my ability to calculate, but ended up making it more difficult, more difficult, more difficult. So it really led me to decide that it was going to be, everything would be up to me. I would just do it myself, whatever it was. That's what I was kind of going to ask you. Like you didn't have a lot of choices when you were very small and you didn't have a choice in like your family dynamics that you you know were born into and that sort of thing. And then as a teenager, do you think you were like fighting kind of like pulling like I need to make choices, I need to be the captain of my own ship because you didn't have a lot of choice when you were younger. You didn't have a say, you didn't have a voice. Do you think you were just desperately trying to be your own person, make your own choices, be the captain of your own ship at that point? Yes. 
you know, like that's why the title of the book, This or Something Better, I wanted to be the, the memoir of a maker because I had decided from way at three years old, I'm going to make my life by God. And readers will find out what that's about. There's trauma in the beginning of the book. But anyway, yes, I wasn't just that I wanted to make my own choices, but that I didn't trust the people that were making choices for me or the assumptions that they would make about me. So, you know, I was living in a very small town that I called a cross between deliverance and American graffiti. And in my county, even today, there's more registered guns in this county in California than any other county. And those are the registered guns. That's not the unregistered guns. It's a guns all, you know, got to have a gun and a knife. And I don't know, even to go to In-N-Out Burger to order something, you, you know, you have a knife hanging there. And for me, there was nothing there for me. I wasn't tuned into that kind of living. And certainly the nature person that I was made me ponder a lot about life. That wasn't anything that I could really learn about in my school or in my community because people were really in the early 50s and on into the early 60s. It has been called a generation of the bland leading the bland. And we're not talking about the children generation, but the parents. They've gone through this horrible war, World War II, and I have clear awareness that there was World War I prior. And they're trying to have something that's consistent. The idea of consistency, safety, comfort, opportunity, all these things were huge. So they did not, they're, you know, looking into other kinds of ideas of philosophical stuff was not for them. But I got the opportunity to understand a lot about the world beyond this little tiny town when they just started that whole gifted program and I got to go to college classes when I was in eighth grade. This was exciting. And they were interested in what I thought about things. And I did think about a lot of things and, you know, had already been writing and planned to write a book eventually and all that kind of thing. And so this stimulated me to think, well, there's so much more. I just have to get out of here. And that's when I went to, chose to go to boarding school. I thought it was going to be freedom also. And I was like, what, 13? <laughs> there was, I think, 300 nuns. I don't remember. It was a boarding school, but there were, there were only 80 boarders or 100 boarders. And there were a lot of day students. And then there were also a lot of nuns. And so it was a, a very super creative time with this particular woman, a nun that was leading the charge, Sister Mar- Mary Carita, which is well known during the whole anti-war thing and everything. So she was leading this. And suddenly that whole emphasis was shut down. I was accepted and I was ready to go. I got everything ready. I went and started and I moved in after all the whole summer. And during the summer before I started, they changed the whole regime and they changed it to the super religious aspect. And you had to have white gloves and days of silence and retreat. And there was no art program. Okay. So now I'm down there. (laughs) I'm in the school and I wasn't good. You were looking for this sort of worldly freedom in boarding school, and you did not find that there. No, no. if it had been what it was going to be, it would have been great, right? But I couldn't control that, so that was too bad. It was just really hard. It was just in the same semester, my mother and father got decided to get a divorce, and the dam above the river, I was living on a wild river, and they decided to put in a dam. So they even started almost immediately starting to construct it and changing the whole pattern of the river and everything about it at home. So there was just, it was just nothing that one could rely on. So you've been an artist at heart since you were very young. Yeah. Do you think you're drawn to the ability to express yourself? in a way that you want to express yourself? That's a good question. I think one thing that I really do kind of like is that they have come up with this description of the mixing of senses, synesthesia, and this synesthesia idea that some people don't have a strong border between certain senses is really correct for a person like me and a lot of the people that I know who are musicians and artists, the same kind of thing. So for me, I see a color or whatever I see It has a kinetic and personal vibration to me. So I take it as when I'm making colors for you, for example, and a texture and design of a pattern or something, I will say, we'll use the heart and soul. The heart will be this fragile pink and over the top, we're going to put this, you know, whatever this other tone is, and then we're going to move it in this way so that, you know, and so everything has a personality, color and texture. So it might be fragile, it might be bossy, it might, you know, you can have a bossy yellow or you can have a friendly yellow, right? Oh, I love that. That is so true. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so, so in the world where I work, the decorator would often introduce me to a new client to say, this is Elisa. And we'd have all the fabrics and all the things laid out. And, and then they'd say, just listen to her, let her talk. And she's not crazy. <laughs> so they would laugh. He would laugh. I would laugh a little bit. You know, I would just start looking and seeing. And it's all this sort of intuitive flood would come over me because I'll see their face, their skin, their eyes then even when I'm touching certain things and looking at certain things, I can see them respond. So I know they're sending me all these signals about what they will want. And then we begin to sort of gin up this idea. How do you like this? How about that? And all of a sudden it will just all come into this moment where we know it's right because we all get chills. And then the decorator will go, I have chills. And I'm like, I have chills. And the client's like, oh, I have chills. (laughs) And then we're done. Okay. So that's the fun part. I mean, then we have to create what we said we wanted to do, right? That's that's the work part, but that's okay. It's fun. So yes, seeing all these things, I think it's anthropomorphism where I think everything has a human aspect. So I've taken what I might've gotten from people and I've put it onto all these plants and animals around me and rocks and stones and patterns and shadows and all that and turned that into my family. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. So here's a question. I love color. Do people have colors? Do you look at a person and can you see their color? I don't see an aura. I never have gotten into that. I don't mean aura, but like, do you look at a person like Jen's a blue person? She loves I love navy blue. Yes. A person you can be like, oh, like blue speaks to her or like, Mm. you know what I'm saying? I just think of it that way. I actually look at their skin tones and stuff. Let's say it's going to be a master bedroom or the dining room. Let's go to the dining room. That's a nice one. So the dining room. Okay. Of course, right now, everybody wants white and gray. That's going to pass away. It's almost over. Just hold your horses. Don't paint everything white and gray, please. Please don't. But, (laughs) (laughs) But what you can get going for yourself, if you're in a dark room, then all of a sudden the person looks like the light. So if your dining room is this room that you only use occasionally and it's going to be for the evening and you're going to have these people over and it's going to be wonderful, let the room be dark and let the people be the light. Now, it doesn't have to be dark brown or gray. It can certainly be a rich red. It can be a rich, any kind of rich olive. It could be any color, a wonderful blue. And you'll find that when you look at, if you watch, let's just say, I don't care, it could be any show, This Is Us or any other kind of show, Look at the people on succession. Look at the color that's behind them. One of my clients is a director and she told me, you know, the color always has to be richer than the skin tone. But what happens is people don't usually go that dark, you know, to live in. But you see that all the time on these shows because it makes the actress and actor look so alive, so vibrant and so, (laughs) you know, present. So use that idea for your dining room if you can. If it's going to be like a dark hole in the middle of your house and you don't want to, then don't do it. (laughs) But you can do that. So no, I don't look at a person and think of a color, but I do often look at a person and think of colors that I would not use for them because I it wouldn't enhance their experience. They wouldn't look like they're glowing. And so you say that um, you weren't a big people person, but you're you're a people person. It's there. Oh, I care about them. I just don't. You were just displaying it in different ways other than socially. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I mean, not very many people are, would go into, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people who would go into a room and advise somebody on how to decorate their room and really take the person that's going to be the heart of the room and make them the showcase. They're making the room the showcase. You're like, how can I showcase this person in this room? Yeah. That makes and the person is person central. To me. Yeah. I think yeah. Sherry's right. Yeah. You're seeing it through the lens of the person is, is most important. Well, I think, yes, because I think that I'm emulate. I'm, I'm really projecting what I would like to, I would like to see them feel safe and free. And my idea behind the whole effort of all these projects that I've done that are for 50,000 square foot houses that are just occasional residences for people that have 500,000 employees, these people, I would like to believe that I'm giving them a chance to feel their best, be their best selves in this space. And that that will then trickle down to all these other people that they are in charge of. That's the only way that I could see that what I was doing was healing because it was just sort of remote this would be one of seven houses and who knows how many days you're really going to spend there. But am I helping the world somehow? I hope maybe by making this person comfortable and 
Well, I mean, that's huge. Helping a person feel good and be comfortable is like, there's no better service you can do to someone for someone else, really. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to give a piece of advice to a woman today, a woman who's struggling to find her way or trying to find her path to happiness or her purpose in life, what, what would you tell her? I do actually mentor a number of people, both entrepreneurs, and they're almost all women. And the two things that I use all the time that I think are key, that affirmations do work, and the simplest one in the world, and the one that tells you the most is, I am worthy. Because if you say it, I am worthy, that tells you, you need to work that one. Because you're not saying it like, I am worthy. So you get to get, you have to get into this resonant place where you're cycling this idea of worthiness into your heart and soul. And it's really okay. You can do that. You can do it 10 times every morning until it just comes out so beautiful. It sounds great. But on the other hand, I think it's important not to go into this magical thinking that all the answers are somewhere outside of yourself. So I made up my own affirmation that I think is very helpful and I use it often. And it is, I trust myself to take good care of me. It keeps it really simple. And it's not it's God. Powerful. Yes. So I would use that. And then let me just give one more thing. And that is this idea that if you're planning your life and you're trying to make a change, it's great to present a person to have a five-year plan or a four-year plan or three. It, it doesn't matter. It's just visualize yourself even a year from now and make up this idea of what you would like to see in your life. Don't be afraid because obviously you can change it. It's your idea. And then look, if you want to be there in 12 months, where will you be in nine months? What do you need to do in six months? What do you need to do in three months? I swear to God, you'll be surprised. The thing you have to do next week is make like one phone call to make this thing happen 12 months from now. One phone call. But you just have to work back from it because if you try to work from the, just work backwards and you will. That's really good advice (laughs) when you have a goal. Back up from the goal and and what do you have to do to accomplish that goal? Because, you know, what's the saying? You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, so it's it's a similar kind of a thing. You you back up and you think, all right, what are the steps I need to take now? Those simple steps that don't look daunting, right? The whole elephant, man, that's big. But you can do the little steps today to get you where you want to be in a year. That's huge. If you make this plan, and I've every time I've made a five-year plan or a three-year plan or one-year plan, I get the plan done before the timeline, before the timeline. I just have to find myself laughing because I already got there. If it was a five-year plan, I'm already there at three and a half, you know? So it's amazing. So it's very, very, very powerful. You know, you can use books like Creative Visualization, which is an old tried and true book by Shakti Gawain, or You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And I mean, everyone my age already knows this book for a long, long time. There's a lot of powerful new books that are saying very much the same thing. So those would be great too. All right. Well, so tell our listeners where can they connect with you somewhere and then where can they find your book? Yes, my book is everywhere and it's easy to get. My website is elisastancellevine.com and that has essays that I've written that have been published in literary magazines, how to get the book. Of course, you can get it on Amazon Books and Bookshop and, and a bunch of little bookstores. You can get it at the library. And the title, did we already just give that? It's This or Something Better, A Memoir of Resilience. All right. I will have links to the book in show notes, and I'll go ahead and put your website in show notes as well so listeners can just go straight to show notes and click from there. So thank you. I appreciate thank you, you being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. There, you can interact with Jen and me in a private online community. If you want to know what it's like, let's see, it's sort of a social network like Facebook, but not. There are no ads. There's no tracking. It kind of reminds me more of the old, remember the old bulletin boards? Is that what they called them? Where you logged on? And you would post a subject and then people would respond to it. A little bit. Ever, yeah, they were. Yes. Or like a forum. Like forums. Yes. I think they called them forums after they called them bulletin boards and they became forums. Okay. So it's a little bit more like that in that you can just pop on and post. You're not seeing people's live feeds and stuff like that, right? It's just this group and everybody who's in the group and they can post. They can post 
questions. They can post about books and we have conversations about a book or we talk about coffee. (laughs) People post, you know, funny things. We post, you know, inspiring things. And then once a month, we do a video chat where whoever's available at that time, we all get on and kind of like I called it the Brady Bunch the first time because we're all in our little squares and we just talk and um, hang out for an hour and get to know each other. And it's a good time. So many of us often feel like we don't have good connection with others in our immediate communities. And this is us building a community with others across the world. It's fun. It's a good time. And it helps support the podcast. It helps Jen and I continue to bring you further episodes of the Life Lessons podcast. While you're there, pop in and tell us about a subject you'd like to learn more about or have a discussion about, and we can add it to the Life Lessons podcast lineup. It's $4.99 or $9.99 a month. You can change at any time. You manage your own subscription from the platform. We hope you choose an option that feels like the right value to you and what you can afford. If you truly get value from the podcast and you're using the the platform to communicate and share, you know, we would hope that you would choose the higher package. But again, we want you to choose the one that feels best to you. So you can learn more by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. And I wanted to add that you might think, you know, I don't have time for any more social media. I don't have time to be in another group. You know, I don't want to do all that. I just like to listen to the podcast. So I would encourage you to still join to support the podcast if you like the podcast, because I just pulled up the records to see how we're doing. We still are not, with our VIP community, not quite making enough to support the podcast. So we're just not quite there yet. We're really close, (laughs) you know, just a few members away from having that be what supports the podcast. But The cost of editing has gone up. So many things have gone up. So we love bringing you the podcast, but we want it to be more than just a hobby that Sherry does because she loves it. We would like it to also pay for her time and in bringing the podcast to you. So I just wanted to add that in there. Well, thank you. And if you're new to listening to the podcast, we used to have a lot of affiliate relationships and we would share them. But Jen and I don't want to be salespeople. We don't want to push products at you and keep having to find different products that you might like. We would rather just talk about things that are important and just get support through the membership site. We chose Circle as a alternative to Patreon or some of the other paid membership sites that support podcasts and work. So check it out. We'd love to have you. Exactly. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. This might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. And today's listener-led lesson comes from Erica. She says, short on space in your kitchen? Tired of your old white or almond fridge? Use Rust-Oleum chalkboard paint on a freshly cleaned fridge to create a usable space and a new look. And we are not sponsored by Rust-Oleum, by the way. (laughs) You know, when I said that, it sounds like a commercial. (laughs) No, we're just saying it. (laughs) Remove the hardware first. It took me three coats of paint applied with a foam roller. On the freezer, we keep a running grocery list that I can snap a quick picture of before leaving for the store. And on the right side, I have the weekly menu plan written. Any special notes for the week, the science project due on Thursday, makeup game on Saturday, just jot it down. It's fun and changes up the look of your tired old fridge and turns it into a functional organization center without using wall space. That does sound like a fun idea. I would never have thought about that. No, I wouldn't have either. Chalkboard paint on a freshly cleaned fridge. Well, there you go. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Raymond. We've all heard the quote, the grass is always greener on the other side. And generally, most people take this to mean that other people's circumstances are better than our own. But Raymond says, I grew up with a terrible example, and I mimicked what was normal to me in a way to have the world hate me. People talk about the grass being greener, but I'm talking about how I couldn't even see the grass. Boy, it's been a long journey from there. And I think there's a lesson in this contribution from Raymond. Don't forget when you're admiring other people's grass that there are people who would love your grass. And there are others who can't even see the grass in the first place. And we are all doing the best we can with what we have. Absolutely. So 
I heard, I'm just going to throw this in here. I heard a funny quote. I think it was on a meme about the grass is greener. I told Jen this at the beach. I'm going to have to edit one of the words used. It says, (laughs) We're a family show. (laughs) It said, the grass is greener on the other side because you're not over there pooping in it. (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed so hard because it's not true. Sometimes we muck up our own grass. I mean, it is true. It is true. You said it's not true. It is true. Oh, okay. It is true. It is so true. Yes. Right. We're mucking up our own grass. Yeah. The grass used to look good until you screwed it up. Yeah. Our grass looks really (laughs) terrible right now because Sherry knows this because she was here. But one day I came back home and there's a big pile of dirt in the driveway. (laughs) Big pile of dirt. Chad's had someone deliver some dirt. They were doing a project. They were digging up dirt. And he's like, can you deliver that to our driveway? I mean, okay. He was so excited about it while you were checking the mails. He told me all about it. Yes. Yes, they were. They were redoing the the mailbox patio. It's looking really cute with the brickwork, but he got the dirt delivered. And so now he's putting it over all these weird spots on our lawn. It was really good looking dirt, like really rich. And he gets excited about that. So he's putting the dirt. So right now our grass does not look greener <laughs> because he's filling in the low spots. Filling in, yeah, some low spots you had and some kind of bare spots and put some richer Putting the Chad touch like on it. Maybe putting some grass food and fertilizer out the other day. So, yep, Sunday, which is a company that sponsors intermittent fasting stories. We have some some products that they sent. So he's finally using that all over the yard and trying to get it looking better. So, well, he has a one year plan of a great lawn, and he's taken the baby steps to get the there. grass will be greener on our own lawn. <laughs> Oh, well, thank y'all for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community. As we said, you don't have to even go there other than just to join because it, it just is a way of supporting the podcast. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. And your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We would also love for you to leave a review, especially a five-star review. Thank you. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.